Happy Wednesday, everybody. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast. And as always, we are excited to be with you today. Today, we have something special for you. We've actually never done this today or before. Mm. And today is going to be like so fun to hear the stories and the, from both sides. We have both a parent and her doula with you today. And they're going to share the VBAC story. We have Harmony and Kimberly. Harmony is the mom and Kimberly is the doula. And she had a VBAC just six weeks ago. So we're so excited to hear her story. As always, we have a review of the week before we dive right in. And so I'll turn the time over to Julie. Yeah, I'm really, really, really excited about this story too. Kimberly's been on our podcast a couple times. She's on our Doula's Tell All episode and she shared her VBAC after four C-section story. So if you want, you can just go back in the search bar and search for Kimberly and her stories will come up as well. But it, I'm just... I'm really excited to have a doula parent duo on as well. So we're so grateful for them. Harmony and Kimberly are from Texas. Austin, just outside of Austin, Austin, Texas, it looks like. I'm going to read a review of the week. And this review is from Angel B on Apple Podcasts. And the title of her review, it's really long, but it's cute. She says, thank you, ladies. Best podcast to help prepare for a VBAC and an amazing birth experience. And then she goes on to say, first off, just had my successful unmedicated VBAC at the hospital in June, all thanks to this podcast and you wonderful ladies. During my TOLAC, I continued to think of all the amazing stories I listened to on this podcast to get me through labor. Shouting out during labor, I am a woman of strength and my body knows what it's doing, was so empowering. I started listening to this podcast and could not stop. Each episode has something that can contribute and help women during their birth journey. I love how encouraging each episode is, and it goes through all types of scenarios that can happen during birth, regardless of trying for a VBAC. This can help better prepare any woman for all type of outcomes because, let's face it, giving birth is unpredictable. So thankful for listening to all the suggested tips having a VBAC. I actually did every single one of them and happily had an amazing VBAC. Can't thank you ladies enough and hope this continues to help change the way our society sees birth. Yes, women of strength, you got this. Boom. I love that review. That was exciting. Congratulations, Angel B, on your VBAC. We are so happy for you. And... Now, without further ado, let's get to the story because uh, we have a VBAC trained doula and a parent who had a VBAC and I mean, we're ready to rock and roll. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankum and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. 
that's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the vbacklink.com. See you there. Let's get into the story. So, so excited. And I'm excited to see how this flows. If like how you guys like chime in and like your different perspectives. I'm so excited. So let's turn the time over to you fine ladies. Oh yeah, Kim. Hey Kim. We haven't (laughs) seen each other since the birth, but we were planning to this Friday actually. (laughs) Yeah, Friday. So this is kind of cool. Um, yeah, same goes for me that if you remember something that I don't, because it was a little blurry at points for me, understandably, <laughs> please, you know, chime in or whenever. Well, I guess I'll just start by saying that I got pregnant with my daughter in, I think it was 2015. My husband and I had been married for a couple of years. Sometime during that first couple of years, I actually was diagnosed with PCOS by my doctor. And Which is so polycy- I just, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I remember coming home and telling my husband because I was just pretty upset because I really wanted to have a baby. And um, I just was worried about, you know, the fertility issues with that. But then we waited, I think it was in 2015 that we started trying to get pregnant. We had actually moved to Tulsa temporarily. Didn't know it was temporarily. We're back in Texas now, but um, we'd been there Uh, for about a year, year and a half and started trying to get pregnant. And I got pregnant right away, which was in it, that in itself was huge for somebody with PCOS. And then I went through that pregnancy and had some blood pressure and blood sugar issues. The blood pressure issue was why I got induced. My doctor was wonderful. He basically just tried to get me to the very end before he did any type of intervention I just want to say that up front that I know that my experience is a little bit different because my doctor, his wife actually had a VBAC. And so, and he made a point to tell me that his C-section rate was really low. He was well connected with the midwives in the area. And so I didn't feel, I knew I was in good hands with my pregnancy, that he wasn't going to push me to be induced or have the C-section unless that was the option for us. So I reached the end of my pregnancy and my blood pressure just kept increasing. And he said, well, I think what we should probably go ahead and do is induce you because he checked me and I had asked him to check me. I should say that as well, that he didn't do routine cervical checks. And I asked him to check me that Friday and he said, okay, you're, I think I was dilated like a half to a centimeter. So not a ton, but he just said, since your blood pressure is going up, I'd like to go ahead and induce you. And I shared with him that, you know, I was concerned about that because I I didn't want to have a C-section if I could help it. And he said, you know, I totally understand that. He said, I just want to tell you that there's nothing wrong with you. If if you end up in that C-section, I'm still going to make sure that she's on your chest immediately. You know, he really tried to encourage me that he said, I don't see it going that way. But if it does, I want you to know that I'll make sure that all of that bonding happens. And so... I went into the induction kind of feeling like, well, this is 
this is the option. And I think they used what, Cervidil? Is that a common thing that's used usually in the night before they inserted that? Yeah, Cervidil, it's a um, pill. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it was. And then I kind of had just some cramping. My husband and I watched, we'd been watching Lost on TV or on Netflix. So we started watching that. He stayed there with me, but I just couldn't get comfortable. I was kind of feeling like crampy. And so I couldn't sleep very well, you know, and then by the next day, I did start to have some contractions after they gave me a little bit of Pitocin and my daughter's heart rate immediately dropped after having the Pitocin. And my doctor was in a delivery, and I remember the nurses rushing in, turning me over on my side, putting oxygen on me. It was very scary. And unfortunately, he wasn't there at the moment. So he, you know, I didn't have that reassuring comfort from him that this was, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. But he got there as soon as he could and explained to me what was going on that, you know, she wasn't really responding very well to the Pitocin. And we talked about trying some other interventions. And he said, you know, I can insert a Foley bulb and take you off of the Pitocin and see if we can just manually get you to dilate that way. And uh, that's what I chose to do. So he was actually right in the middle of checking my cervix when we talked about that. I always tell this because it made me laugh looking back. Um, he's really funny. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to go have them get the Foley bulb. And I'm just not going to... <laughs> take my hand out at this point because he, he knew it was really painful for me every time he had to do that. And so they went, the nurses went to go get the Foley bulb. And when they left, he said to me, so how's it going? You know, trying to make it, you know, not so awkward because he was literally just sitting in there with his hand in my vagina. But that's part of what, you know, I loved about him was that it wasn't like a, it, he, he really respected me and he was trying to make it as easy as he could for me. So they inserted the Foley bulb and um, I think I dilated. I still was having contractions even after they dropped, you know, dropped it down for me. I think I don't, this is where it gets a little blurry for me because I don't remember if I still had a little bit of Pitocin because her heart rate dropped two more times after that. And it was scary for me. That was probably aside from, you know, the C-section wasn't really that scary for me. It was hearing her heart rate slow down that really terrified me. So after that third time that her heart rate dropped, you know, he came in and sat down on the bed beside me and he said, look, I know neither one of us wanted it to go this way, but this is what's happening at this point. And he said, I, I don't really want to rush you in in an emergency where we can't control how she's born and have her there on your chest. And so he said, I think at this point, the best thing to do is go ahead and do the C-section. And uh, I said to him, yes, like, at that point, I was like, yes, please. I just, I can't hear her heart rate drop one more time. So, you know, they wheeled me in there and um, they, you know, made sure that I was all set up. They were very respectful. I know in stories that I've heard since my C-section, I realized how like fortunate and blessed I was to have the doctor that I had and have the nurses and have the anesthesiologist that I had because there are some pretty horrible C-section stories. You know, they got me all set up and uh, pretty soon he had her out and put her on my chest. And it was, you know, it wasn't what I saw for my birth, but it was our story. And I was able to hold her. I was so exhausted at that point, I think, from all the medication and just the birth itself. I was with the hormones. I was shaking and everything like that. 
I was afraid I was going to drop her. I remember saying to the neonatal nurse, I want to hold her, but I'm afraid I'm going to drop her. And she was like, you're not going to drop her. We're right here. You know, you can hold her. Again, they were really supportive. So, you know, of course, like a C-section recovery isn't fun. I had to basically recover from a major surgery while learning to become a mom for the first time. And, uh, you know, she ended up actually having to go to the NICU the next day because she had tachypnea, which is rapid breathing, you know, directly caused from the C-section because she didn't go through my, my birth canal. And so that wasn't fun either because I had to be separated from my baby there in the hospital. But we eventually got home and, you know, moved on with life. I knew that I remember my doctor coming into the hospital room. I think it was the next day or day after checking on me. And I immediately knew, I knew when I was there in the hospital that I was going to have a VBAC the next time I had a baby. Like I was already planning it. And I said to him, so when can I get pregnant again? And he, you know, I could tell on his face, he was just like, I can't believe you're asking me that right now after having just had a C-section. But I was already looking forward to the VBAC because I knew that we had wanted to have more kids. So then I thought we would get pregnant sooner, but just time just kind of passed quickly, it feels like. And um, my daughter was, I think she had just turned four. And we decided, okay, let's go ahead and start trying for another baby. And we did. And I think I got pregnant pretty much in the same amount of time that with my daughter. I just have been very blessed to get pregnant really fast, like I said, especially even with the PCOS. Then, oh, sorry, I should back up and say that the time in between that pregnancy, I I really kind of looked at why I had ended up in that C-section. And sometimes there's not an explanation and sometimes it just happens. For me, I knew that it was my blood pressure that had caused me to have to be induced. And I knew that for my own body, that when I carry more weight, my, my blood pressure, it doesn't take long before my body just kind of goes, whoa, whoa, danger, like, you know, and my blood pressure shoots up. And my body, I thought, just couldn't handle that additional weight than from the pregnancy. So I decided to lose 50 pounds. That was actually my goal. I had already lost the 25 that I gained with my daughter. Nice but work. But then I lost things. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, that's the most weight I've ever lost. And I have a hard time losing it if it's just like, because I want to look better. <laughs> yeah. It was more like it's the biggest motivator I've ever had was having the vaginal birth. And I really felt like in my heart that if I could get to a better weight, that it would just be less pressure on my body. Yeah. Um, and so I, I walked and I actually, you know, just tried to let it come off easily. Um, I didn't do any crash dieting or anything like that. And then I think it took about a year because I had seen, I had gone and seen the birth center that I was interested in. It was like I was planning all of this stuff all along, even though I wasn't even pregnant yet. But I, I just wanted to have it all lined up so that when I got pregnant, I would know what my plan was. But during that time, I lost that weight and I would walk. And while I was walking, I was listening to the VBAC Link podcast, actually, every single day that I would walk. And I did that to normalize in my mind the VBAC experience. I wanted to feel like, you know, women are having these all the time. And I think in the medical world, it's kind of talked about as being super risky and scary. But as I looked at the data, and the information, I knew that that wasn't true. 
so I just tried to normalize all of this in my head and um, make it not so scary for myself. And it turned out that a few, quite a few women in my life, as I talked about that I was going to try for this VBAC, had VBACs themselves. It was funny how I'm a believer and a Christian, and it was odd to me how in my life, I found that around me, there was about four or five women that were sprinkled around me that had V-bags. And that just even more made me feel like, yes, this is okay for me. This is safe and women are doing it. And it just encouraged me even more. So I visited a birth center after I got pregnant here in, in Texas, uh, Central Texas Birth Center in Georgetown. It's about 35 minutes from me. And um, I went in with my mom originally And when I walked out, I said, I feel like I'm going to give birth here. And I just felt it really strongly. And my mom said, I kind of feel the same way. And neither one of us have had experience birthing out of the hospital. So that feeling was just so strong that I just knew in my gut that that was probably where I was going to have my baby. And then I went back with my husband and he, he said, yeah, he said, you know, I, I feel like if it were me and I was having this baby, I would do it in a hospital. He said, but I feel like this is right for you and that you're going to be supported here. And, you know, he just wanted to know that if anything happened, that they had a transfer protocol in place and they did. But I definitely in my mind was like, I'm not even going to talk about that. I didn't want to scare myself or, you know, speak something over me that wasn't going to happen but he was very supportive. My whole family has been very supportive. So I know that Kim, I don't know if you want to talk about that, Kim, but she said that to me that the support that I had around me was really maybe a little bit unusual because it was my mother-in-law, my mom, and my husband, and they just were very, you know, 100% in with me, which was great. From a dual perspective, it was really fantastic to walk into a situation that all of your immediate family was super supportive of your plan because so often we play the go-between of, you know, mom's too nervous or dad's too nervous and they don't, you know, they don't want uh, the birth plan to go like the mom, you know, they have different ideas of what they think is safe or normal. And to see that your whole family was just on board with this plan of birthing outside of the hospital with the provider that you had chosen, it made your job easier. It made my job easier. And I think ultimately it, it, you know, it led to the best support you could possibly get in your birth, not just in the pregnancy, but, you know, Mm -hmm. there was no, there was no wavering of, um, you know, there was no fear. There was no wavering of emotions in the moment when you needed everybody to be steadfast for you. Yeah, definitely. I know I kind of jumped ahead a little bit with that, but I feel like that was just really important to say that it helped me make my decision to to see my husband so calm and confident with it because it was new for me to even consider birthing out of the hospital. But I just felt like I had looked at providers through the actual, through the ICANN Facebook page and I did some investigating and I just did not feel like in my heart for me that I was going to be supported the way that I wanted to be for this feedback. I didn't want to be under a time limit of my gestation where I was going to have to be induced. You know, that was my own personal feeling and and decision that I just, I wanted to be in the right place so that I could just let my body do what it was going to do. Cause I knew that there would be nothing more 
worrisome for me than feeling like I was on a deadline and I knew that that was going to make my blood pressure shoot up. <laughs> and so I was like, I got to be able to relax here. So I chose to go with that birth center and um, they were wonderful. My midwife and, and all of the people there at one of my appointments, I think I was about 10 weeks. I started taking my blood sugar and I started eating a more lower carb just to try and head off any blood sugar issues. I also took some supplements to help with my, my blood pressure. And I really went through that pregnancy with no complications this time. I just had a lot more energy. I had a lot, you know, I know it was probably taking the pressure off of my body. I know that there's tons of women who have totally normal and totally healthy pregnancies with extra weight. And so I just want to be sure and say that to you, that if you're a plus size, that does not mean that you can't have a VBAC. I did this for myself because of my own body. And I knew that I needed to get some pressure off my body. It was really important to me to say that because I don't want anybody to hear that, that you're limited because you are more plus size or anything like that. Totally. Um, Thank you for confirming that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want that to be misunderstood, but I feel like you have to lose weight to have a beat back because you do not. But I felt that my body did. And I'm glad that I just listened to my own body and did that because I, it turned out to be right for me. And I didn't have any complications. I did also, um, one of the things that I tried to do to set myself up for success was hire a doula, which is Kim, that you just heard earlier. And we met on a Facebook video chat because COVID had just started happening. And so we had to, you know, just set up a time to meet together. And um, when I spoke to her, I knew that, you know, she had a, a lot of experience that I wanted. I can't remember where I had read it, but I knew that you had had your own VBACs. And so that was important to me because I knew that you understood the mindset of feeling like it would be really easy for a woman that's had a C-section to feel like her body is broken. And that a lot of times gets pushed even further when a provider makes you feel that way. So I knew that she believed in them because she'd had them. And I also knew that she had some experience in spinning babies. I know that we talked about that Mm -hmm. in our first video call, spinning babies. And I asked her about the Rebozo because I had read stories, how that had been helpful. You have a lot of other certifications. I can't remember what they're in. I, Oh, I'm sorry. I should also say that I found her through the Instagram. She came up on one of the stories for the Instagram on the VBAC link. And it said that she was a VBAC link certified doula. Probably um, when we, yeah, when she first got our certification, we posted, yeah. we used to post those to our stories. We're not very good at that anymore. <laughs> we should yeah, probably start was, doing it again, it sounds like. Yeah, it was like right after she'd been certified, I think. And I think you were the only one in Texas at the time. Is that right? I was. Okay. Yeah. And it just so happened that she was only about 45 minutes away from me. So that, that also worked out great. And I, you know, after I talked to her, I knew that she was somebody that I wanted to go with. I wanted to also talk about how you have the added element of being pregnant during COVID during this time and how I obviously didn't expect that curveball. It scared me in the beginning because it was just so new. We didn't know anything about it. I think when we, uh, after you interviewed me and hired me, you know, there was the whole COVID thing and we had to meet over video, but shifting that direction because of COVID and doing the in-home visits, I think was really important. Um, And I think it helped us bond better. When I showed up to your house the first time, well, first of all, you had a different experience in that 
you know, you're cesarean, you didn't have necessarily all the negative associations that a lot of the women that I work with do have with their cesarean, that they feel it was unnecessary. So it was great to get to walk into a situation where you're like, that was my birth. It's okay. I'm okay with it. But this is how my new birth is going to be. This is how this one's going to go. And um, so it was great to get to not have to spend all of our time necessarily working through birth trauma, but really getting to focus on that prep for, okay, you had a hospital birth. Now let's prep you for an out of hospital birth and the differences and really focus on comfort measures. So I think us being able to do it at your home, I felt like it was a lot more of a comfortable environment. It really felt like just sitting down and chatting with a friend when we we talked and I couldn't believe how like fast time flew when we were there at your house just chatting Mm -hmm. but I loved being able to have that moment and get your husband involved in a space where I knew he would feel more comfortable like doing things and being active versus meeting somewhere in public and um, I think that really worked to our benefit. Yeah I do too and I 100% feel the same way I feel like I made a friend through this it wasn't just like somebody that I hired to help me with my birth you know. Absolutely. Um, I definitely feel that way too. Yeah, so I agree with all of that. I guess I'll start talking about the birth now. I wanted to spend just some time on the other things because I feel like it was important to show that, you know, for me, this birth story started way back. It wasn't, it was all the footwork that I had to do ahead of time to make myself feel more comfortable going into the pregnancy that I, I wasn't hopefully going to have the same complications. And then if I did, I would just feel like, okay, I, I did everything I could and, and that's okay. I'm going to birth my baby the same way I birthed my other one and that's okay. So my due date was September 30th and I was had kind of a odd sensation that happened for me on, I looked back and on about 9, 9.18, my, my in-laws were coming into town. They were coming in about two weeks ahead of time to try to be here for the birth. And as they pulled up, I got out of the car around the same time I was pulling up and I got out to meet them and I felt this weird drop in my body. It was uncomfortable. He had been really low. He was on my left side, head down for most of the pregnancy. But this was like painful where I couldn't straighten up my body. I was talking to my in-laws and I was like, sorry guys, I, I cannot walk right now. I can't move. Um, and I don't know if that was him moving down even further. I'm not really sure. I think I texted both Kim and my mm-hmm. my midwife, Sally, at that point and said, okay, I don't know what just happened, but I haven't had this yet. So about 9.22, which was a couple, you know, what, four days later or so, I started having consistent contractions as I was laying on the couch um, watching TV with my husband. And I looked at the clock and they were coming about 10 minutes apart, but I didn't say anything to my husband because I knew he was already kind of nervous about, okay, we need to make sure we're at the birth center because I don't want to have the baby here at the house. He was really afraid that he was going to have to end up delivering the baby. Um, I think that was his biggest fear (laughs) the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had some friends that told us that she'd gone into labor. It was actually, she was actually seeing my same midwife and uh, she ended up delivering at home accidentally. And her husband had to deliver the baby and he texted my husband the next day. And my husband was like, Whoa, that is not happening. (laughs) He was very freaked out by that. So he just wanted to make sure that, you know, we were really paying attention to the contractions. And I was looking at the clock and they were coming about 10 minutes apart. And then I said, okay, 
these are coming 10 minutes apart. I didn't know if it meet, I didn't know if that meant anything because I hadn't gone into labor with my, my daughter naturally. So I just didn't know. I texted, I don't know if I texted you or not, Kim, do you remember? I think I you texted, texted me you? the second day. Okay. I think maybe you're right. I know that I texted my midwife and she said, okay, you know, that's great. Go, go ahead and try to go to sleep and, you know, rest through them. I mostly was able to sleep through them through the night. They would kind of wake me that I was able to go back to sleep. So the next morning I texted my midwife and she agreed that maybe this was just kind of warming up to my labor and, you know, I shouldn't focus on them and try not to track them. I know I didn't do a very good job of that because I was very like, oh, these are happening. I need to start tracking these. And if I had it to do over again, I would have listened to my midwife and I would have tried to relax and, you know, not pay so much attention to them because it, as it ended up, they actually went on, let's see, for about, till about 9.27. So I had prodromal labor for several days following this. Yeah, 9.24 looks like that evening they started up again and they were still irregular. So I tried to sleep through them, but they kind of were getting stronger with each night. I started to get a dull ache in my lower abdomen and my pelvis and my back, and I just couldn't get comfortable and I couldn't sleep because they kept waking me up enough, strong enough where I was, I found myself waking up moaning through them, but they were still just very irregular. And so I texted my midwife and she told me to, you know, still trying to try to sleep through them. She was just telling me sleep is just so important. You really need to try to, you know, rest. But it was like, I could not do it because they just kept waking me. I was feeling nauseous the next day because I hadn't had any sleep. I was exhausted. And when I would try to take naps, and lay down, the contractions would start up again. And they would be strong. When I would try to sleep, it was like, I lay down and that was their cue to, okay, you're going to rest now. Okay, now we're going to do, you know, what we need to do to try to get you into labor. So on 925, I still had lots of aches, lots of pain in my pelvis. I went on a light walk because I was like, I think I'm going to try to go on a little walk. I live on my parents' land out in the country. So I walked down the street, down their dirt road and back. And when I got back, I kind of felt like I needed to go to the bathroom. When I went to the bathroom, I noticed that I had a tiny, like tiny brown, I don't know what you'd even call it, like a piece of matter. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I think I texted Kim and my, my midwife at that point to let them know that, hmm, I hadn't seen that before. So I think some, something's maybe starting to happen. After that, I tried to nap for a few more hours and the contractions just kept coming when I would try to go to sleep. The next day, I texted my midwife and said, I've had contractions all night, but they're not coming closer together. They're just, they're getting harder as I sleep. So then that next day, I texted my midwife because I'd had painful contractions through the night and they kept me up again. It was just prodromal labor, which I guess everybody talks about. And then I, I didn't know that that's what I was experiencing, but I would have to get on my hands and knees. I'd wake up from the contraction, get on my hands and knees to get comfortable, or I'd walk around the room. I'd have to lean over the bed. I just couldn't lay down and contract. I think it was by the next, I think it was that following day on 927 that I was in the bathtub trying to get some relief. And I decided to call Kim and uh, I felt bad because I could tell I woke you up. I think it was like, early that morning and I just I don't right know, do you remember 
It wasn't really <laughs> I know. Like, I was like, she's totally I live that okay, life. I expect it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was always like, I hate inconveniencing people. So I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to call her, but man, these contractions, I don't know if this is like labor that I'm in. Like if it's time to do something or, you know, you just don't know when I you haven't experienced so it before. When people say that, like, cause they said that to me too, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I had to call you at three o'clock in the morning because I was having a baby. I'm like, no, yeah. you're literally paying me to right. I know. Yeah. three o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This is what I, you hired me for. I <laughs> yes. tell people yeah. if I had a problem with waking up at three o'clock in the morning, I, I wouldn't clearly be doing chose the wrong career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, when you're in it, you're just like, oh, is this like, is this me making this a big deal? Like, do I really need to call somebody? You know, I was afraid that I was like, okay, I just need to hang in here. Cause you know, I was still just trying to rest, but I couldn't do it. And they were getting worse. But Kim told me to do some inversions. Cause I think, tell me, maybe you want to talk about that part that you felt like he might possibly, he was just trying to get in a good position. And that's why yeah. I was having them. Sometimes prodromal labor can be caused just by just something minor in baby's position and, you know, not always the case, but it was worth a shot and seeing if, you know, maybe just, you know, the inversion kind of helps dislodge baby just enough so they can maybe make just enough of a rotation with their head or their body and kind of correct themselves. And sometimes that can just cause things to pick up once they start again and, you know, turn into active labor. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, and it's actually like stopped labor to allow moms mm -hmm. to like totally go to sleep because it fixed the baby's position, helped the baby. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, from my own perspective, like that, I think that's just, I could not get comfortable laying down because he was probably in an awkward position, you know? So when I would have those contractions, getting up on my hands and knees or walking around the room, or that seemed to be the only thing that would give him a little bit of room so I went into the living room and I did some inversions and I called my mom and she came down to support me. At that point, I was in tears because I was just so tired and they were hurting and I wasn't sure what was happening. But I did a couple of those inversions and I kind of cried through them. But pretty soon they got more bearable and didn't feel I didn't feel the same like he was lodged, which was what it kind of felt like. My mom actually did do some belly sifting with the rebozo that Kim had left for me. There were, you know, lots of tears. I was tired, but I was feeling like, okay, something, something's starting to happen. I, I hope, I hope it doesn't go on like this forever. And so I tried to nap again that day, but couldn't, I couldn't rest. Didn't go into this with a lot of rest as you're probably gathering. So that night was nine, it was September 27th and I talked to both Kim and my midwife, Sally, and Sally really encouraged me, you really need to rest if you can at all. So why don't you go ahead and try to take, you know, either some, some Benadryl or have a glass of wine and just see if you can go to sleep. Um, I had some Benadryl on hand, so I did take a couple of pills and I got in the recliner because I talked to Kim about that too, that I just could not lay down and feel comfortable. And so I know it's not preferred to recline, but when we talked, we just kind of decided if that was the only way that I could get rest, that that's probably what I should do. And my husband and my mom, my mom came down to be with me from her house and my husband and mom and I watched TV. They turned the TV on and I decided not to track my contractions because my midwife told me to do that, to try to just focus on trying to get rest. And my husband said, 
okay, I'm going to track them because I want you to rest, but I want to make sure that if we get close enough that we have enough time to contact Kim to come because she told me to call her when they were about five to six minutes apart. And I think that was because of his positioning, right, Kim, that he was head down and he was low and on my left yeah, side. I mean, and I know, I know we talked about intensity too, and just, you know, monitoring for changes from what it had been, you know, so something shifted from what you had been experiencing, mm-hmm. that that was probably things ramping up and, you know, I'd want to be headed your way. Yeah, definitely. So I'd given my husband, my midwife number and Kim's number just so that he would have it in case I wasn't able to contact them. i kind of dozed off and on in the chair, but I kept having the contractions. I didn't know how far apart they were. They would wake me up and I would look over at my husband and he would time them as I was having them. And then at one point he paused the TV show and said, okay, these are about five to six minutes apart. And they've been that way for a little while. So I think we need to call Kim. And in that moment, I think because I had had so much prodromal labor leading up to that, I just was like, no, I, I don't, again, I like, I didn't want to bother her because I felt like they were going to slow down again. And so I was like, I don't want to have her come all the way over here. She's about 45 minutes away. I don't want to have her drive over here and then just stop again. And, uh, you know, we argued about that for a while. He's like, I'm calling her. So he called her. I don't know if you want to say anything about the phone call or anything, Kim, because I can't remember the conversation very much at all. Yeah, he made it very clear on the phone. He was like, so Harmony didn't want me to call, but I think things are picking up (laughs) and um, we would, I would like for you to head this way. (laughs) I was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And after he got off the phone, I was like, no, they're going to slow down. And my mom was like, Harmony, she made the decision to come. You need to just be okay with that. And so I was like, okay, you know, because they tried to make it less like I was, pulling you, like twisting your arm into coming, you know? So this is when I realized that like, as far as like labor goes, time is just like, it doesn't exist. It felt like for me, because when you got there, it felt like it had been five minutes, but you were about 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you walked in feeling like, oh my gosh, she's already here. That was really fast. And then you came over and started immediately putting counter pressure like on my hips because I was laying on the couch and it just felt good to know that you were there because I didn't know what to expect. I had never had a natural birth before and I didn't know when I needed to go. I would say that like, that's so helpful to have a doula there really that, that knows because they've experienced it. And then I could kind of relax and just have my contractions and trust you to go. Okay. I think we probably need to have a, you know, start thinking about heading over. And uh, from what I remember, you know, there was a lot of rushing around by my, my mother-in-law and my mom were kind of my husband making sure that we had all the bags, everything in the bag that we needed. And my dad came down to watch my, my four-year-old daughter who was asleep. And we left at about 1 a.m. and started to head over. And my husband called my midwife and said, okay, we're headed over. And I know that we talked about not leaving too early because I wanted to make sure I was really in active labor well, I before think I got in the car. You were, you were in good active labor and I, the decision, I saw that you were in a good pattern and your husband being nervous. I didn't want that 
to yeah. affect you. And I knew that his yeah. worry was having a baby at home. So I didn't want that yeah. nervousness to, to affect your labor. So I felt like just for everyone, the situation would be better if we just went ahead and went in, even though we still had a little bit of time that we could have waited. I think it allowed him the peace of mind so that, you know, he could relax and just focus on helping you. Yeah, exactly. I do remember you saying that now, but you were like, I think it would be a good idea. Let's, let's go ahead and go, you know, and we got in the car and you followed us in your car. And uh, I remember thinking that the contractions were going to stop when I got in the car, because we talked about that, that that could happen between the, the house and the birth center, but they didn't, they, they kept coming. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, so encouraged. And it was at that point. And I know that that sounds really weird that it was that far into my labor. I was like, I'm in labor. It was like, it took that much for me to go. Okay. These, these, I know. And I know that sounds really weird because I had been laboring for a long time, but I think prodromal labor really like makes you doubt when you're actually in labor, totally. you know? Oh, it totally so, does. It totally yeah, does. <laughs> and somehow, like, I remember saying to you, Kim, like, I feel like I'm going to disappoint people. Do you remember me saying that? I remember I saying, do. I feel like it's going to slow down again. Here is everybody doing this for me and it's going to stop. But when I got in the car and they kept coming, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have yeah. a baby. You, know? you were worried. You were worried about that false alarm. And I'm like, no, I was. this is what we do. And sometimes it happens and it's okay. But I don't think that's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were like, I remember asking you, are these going to stop? When I was laying on the couch and you said, ah, I don't think so. I think these are, I think this is, I think this is it. So we got to the birth center and I remember having like another really big contraction when I got out of the car and my midwife met us there and she kind of did, you know, I guess what you would consider regular check-in. She checked my, my blood pressure and took my temperature and all those things and then left me to, to labor, which I think is great. That's exactly, you know, what I wanted. And I had Kim there the whole time. We walked around the hallway. I labored on the couch and on the bed and something that I wanted to say was like how helpful the counter pressure was for me and that you did that even when I was sitting on the couch, she would push on my knees to kind of create counter pressure and that would help me through those. So your, your husband did a great job of, of helping with that too. Yeah, he did. He did great. He was very supportive the whole time and just trying to be there for me. And so let's see on the next morning, it actually ended up being into the morning. I labeled, labored all night. And then my midwife came in and I was laying down on the bed trying to sleep through some of the contractions. And I don't remember everything word for word, but I remember her saying like, I think we should go ahead and check you. Cause I don't think I looked necessarily. And this is where I'm like, maybe you can tell me, Kim, I don't know that I looked like I was like as far into labor as I was. You were you were handling your contractions very well and your face and your demeanor was very calm the way you were breathing through them. So I'm not sure if maybe she expected that you weren't going to be as far along as you were, but you were you were laboring beautifully. Yeah. And she said later I said to her, I said, did you think that I wasn't, you know, do you think it was too soon? And she said, I thought it was a little soon, but it wasn't. You were you. It was totally right. You know, you were. And, you know, she's wonderful too, very supportive, the whole, like I said, the whole birth center. And I had a wonderful midwife that was very hands-off as far as like my labor. So when she checked me, I remember thinking, what if I'm like 
you know, not as far as I think I am. But when she checked me, she said, well, you're definitely in labor. You're at a seven. And I was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was at a seven and that I had been laboring active labor that long and been able to do it without saying, I can't do this, or this is too painful. Because my experience with my daughter with the Pitocin was those contractions were horrible. And they were right on top of each other. And there was just no break at all. And I only, I think I dilated to maybe a five or a six with her, maybe, maybe a four or five, I'm not positive. But after she checked me and said it was a seven, I laid there for a little while. My husband was like, you need to rest. Let's try to, you know, rest for a little bit. And she said, yeah, let's close the blinds. It, it you know, it was, had become light outside. And so my midwife said, let's close the blinds. Have you try to rest a little bit? And then in a little bit, you know, get you up and walk you around. I think we did that. And then I got into the tub at one point, which I really wanted to do. I knew that would be very comforting to me. Stayed in there for a little while. You know, again, I, I had Kim to kind of, I remember getting in the tub being worried that my contractions were going to slow down, but you were, you were tracking them and you were like, no, they're still coming. They're still, they're still coming at that regular interval for you. So at that point, my midwife did check me and I was still at a seven, but she could fill his head and my waters were intact. So she said, do you want me to break your water? And I I was not sure what I wanted to do at that point because I just, I really kind of wanted to just not have any type of intervention at all. But Kim and I talked about it and I talked about it with my husband and we decided, you know, I was at a seven, probably was okay to go ahead and do that. And we did that and uh, it didn't take long before the contractions started to feel a little bit more like what I would describe as just, I don't know if I can do this. that started to come into my mind. I was like, Oh, this is, this is getting, this is getting scary for me because I felt like when you know that you're about to make a decision by breaking your water that you can't take back and you can't escape those contractions at that point. So you just kind of have to go, well, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be hard, you know, but I I have to just kind of see it through. But I do remember getting out of the tub at one point because I just felt like I, I can't be in this tub by myself. I started to feel like, I feel really alone in this tub. I can't be in this tub by myself. I have to get out. So everybody kind of helped me out of the tub. And at that point, I remember feeling kind of a sharp searing pain around my hips and abdomen. That scared me because I just didn't know if that was my incision or not. And although that the percentage of that happening, isn't it, I think, less than 1%, it still scared me. My midwife came in at that point, and I remember saying, I'm scared. And she said, well, what are you scared of? And I said, I'm afraid that this is my incision. I'm afraid that pain that I'm feeling is my incision. And she said, okay, do you think that's what's happening? And I remember before I could even think about it any further, I had another huge contraction that brought me to my knees. I remember my mom kind of holding me against her and just trying to support me. It was really hard for my husband and my mom to see me in so much pain. Although they were really supportive, I know that it took a lot out of them as well. So I remember that. I remember my mom really holding me. And uh, that obviously was not what was happening. But I think as far as the incision rupturing, that wasn't what was happening. But that fear is still there, even though it's a small percentage. And you just kind of have to choose to believe that 
it's okay. And that the percentage of that happening is very small. And so that's probably not going to be what happens, you know? So at that point I got on the bed because my midwife said, would you like to start trying to push? And I'm like, yes, because what I had been told up to that point was by a lot of women was it feels so much better to push because it's like, you're able to do something with that pain. So I was like, yes, yes, I want to get on the bed and do that. And I got up on the bed and that's when it got real crazy for me. This is where, <laughs> this is where Kim, I could probably use some of your perspective because being in transition, people can tell you how intense it is, but until you're in it, I don't think you can really understand what that feels like. And I remember saying, I can't do this. And I said, I, I can't. I think a lot yeah. of your pain too, um, just from my observation, you know, it, it does feel good for a lot of women to push. But um, if I remember correctly, you had a bit of a cervical lip that they were trying to get you to push past. And that mm -hmm. can definitely be pretty painful to, to try and be pushing past a cervical lip. So I think that's why maybe yours maybe felt a little different. And of course, it's going to give a different sensation that you weren't expecting. Yeah. And I know that like my hips were in like constant pain, which I guess was just them spreading. My, my midwife would say, that's your baby. Your baby's, he's trying to come down, you know, cause I was like, Oh my hips, I can't do this. I need somebody to push on my hips, you know? And I was just, I felt like I was out of control. It felt like there was a lot of noise in my head, which I realized it was in my head later as I watched the video, some video back but it was like pretty quiet and calm. But in my head, it was like, there was like, everybody was talking. I was screaming. It was like, my perspective was off. But when you're in the transition, you know, it's like you're in your own world. You know, that was what was scary for me was when I started going, I need you guys to take me to the hospital. I can't do this. And I remember people saying, no, no, you've got this. Like you can do this harmony. He's almost here. Like his, his, you know, his head is right here. You can push him out. That is so, so important to have a I, team of people that believe in you. I think uh, your husband reminding you, nope, this is what you told me you wanted. You told mm -hmm. me if you said that you wanted to go to the hospital, that you didn't really mean it. I think him reminding you of that was really pivotal. Yeah, I did. I said to him, I need you to understand how important this is to me. Right now, I know I can do it. But when I'm labor, I probably won't feel like I can. So I need you to, to say to me, no, you can do this. And, you know, I'm going to help you get through this. And he said exactly that. You know, he said, I remember saying to you, but you may be mad at me right now, but I'm just doing what you told me to do. And so I need you to reach inside you and just push him out, you know. Well, and when you, when, when you first said that you wanted to go to the hospital because you didn't feel like you could do it anymore, from the other side, we could see his head when you were pushing. So we knew how close you were. And that's the thing is like, I couldn't see anything, obviously. And one of the midwives actually offered to put a mirror. She said, look, sometimes it helps. I was like, no, no, I don't want to see it, you know? And I said, because I think there was part of me that felt like if I saw the baby's head coming out, I was already so overstimulated with what was happening. I was afraid it was going to send me over the edge on what was happening. And so she was like, okay, okay, no problem. You don't have to look. But I felt bad because I felt like I kind of, Maybe I didn't yell, but I talked very strongly during the the labor to some people. I, you know, I said to her, "Don't, no, no, I don't want to see it." And she's like, "Okay, no problem. You know, you don't have to look." And then, like at one point, I said, "People were saying push harmony. You need to push." And I was like, "Stop telling me to push. I am pushing." And I wouldn't normally like 
talk to people that way. You know, and I said that to Kim, I felt so bad because I was like talking to people that I barely knew that way and like being very forceful, but it's just, you just don't have it in you to, you know, think about your wording or your tone of voice, you know? So at one point they told me to reach down and fill his head because it was coming out and I reached down, but the, it did not feel like a head. And I know that sounds really weird, but it felt, it didn't feel very round. And so I guess that's because, you know, he was trying to come through and the midwife's assistant and I laughed about it because she said, yeah, you reached down and you went, what is that? You know, and she, they were like, it's his head. It's his head. He's trying to come out. But I think there was part of me that just felt like he was never going to come out. And I kept trying to push, but I was like, man, why is this taking so long? You know, and at one point, my mom had to leave the room because I was in so much pain. She, she just said, I just I had to leave for a second. And she actually got sick in the bathroom because it was so intense. Again, that from, I don't know what it was like from your perspective, Kim, but that may have just been... Your mom was definitely struggling and she, but she was fantastic. You know, I had one hip laying on the bed across the bed, shoving on one hip and she was in there shoving on the other. And you could tell she just, she was ready for it to be over for you. And she, you could tell that how strongly she was feeling your emotions. Yeah. And I mean, totally supportive, but just trying to hang in there, I think. And it's just hard to see your child in pain, you know? And I, I even felt my husband at one point while I was pushing I felt him start to shake and I looked up and he was crying and I thought that was because oh, the baby's head's he's, he's crying because the baby's head's out. But he told me later that he was crying. He was like, no, I, you were just in so much pain. It was really hard for me to see that, you know? So what's cool about that too is like, I feel like it bonded us even more in our marriage for him to see what I was doing, you know, to try to get the baby here. So I felt at one point I reached down again. I, that's when I started to feel, I guess, what's described as the ring of fire. It just felt sharp, 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 sharp pain in my vagina. And I reached down and I then I felt, oh, that's his head for sure. Like his head is almost out. And that was what gave me, I think, the strength that I needed to feel that we were almost there. And I pushed and I pushed. And then really quickly, I remember somebody saying, okay, get on your hands and knees. And so I did that as best I could. I felt a bunch of people help put me over on my hands and knees on the bed. And then I was told to push some more. And then all of a sudden I felt the pressure go away. And I knew, I remember in the video, I said, is he here? He came out, you know, and he has, he'd come out and I turned around and saw him and, you know, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. That that moment was probably one of the best moments of my life to see him there and know that I had done it, that I'd have his knee back. And that, first of all, that I was out of that pain that felt like I was just in this pain spiral that I couldn't get out of, but that now I had actually done it and he was here. And um, that was one of the best moments of my life, just being able to hold him and know that I had, you know, had this accomplishment and that he was here and safe. And, uh, you know, my husband was very emotional about it and everybody's crying in the video and, you know, but my mother-in-law and my mother were both there and got to witness that. My mom had said to me later, you know, I, I never had really seen a baby coming out of a vagina, you know, 
And so that was like interesting to be able to know, like that was a new experience for her too. And it was just a really wonderful moment. And then afterwards, my daughter got to come in and get in the bed with us and, and see him and, you know, all of that I have on video. And it's just really wonderful to feel like I could have let fear dictate that moment. Like I could have just tried to play it safe, which for me was, you know, and I'm just speaking for me, for me, it would have been playing it safe to choose to birth someplace else because I was scared. But I chose to birth where I birthed because I wanted to have an untouched, an untouched VVAC that mm. I could just allow my body to do it. And I didn't know how hard it was going to be. If I'm being honest with you, I did not know that it was going to be as hard as it was. I still can't believe that I did it. But I did. And I'm really glad that I didn't just let, you know, fear take that away from me. That I got to have that wonderful moment when I pushed him out and I got to have my daughter there and see my husband, see his baby for the first time on my chest in an environment that wasn't, you know, medical, which for me, it was just a different experience than my previous birth, which is okay. You know, like I said, like that was our story. Her, the C-section with my daughter was still wonderful to have her on my chest and everything like that. But this was just a different experience that I got to have with my son. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the number one thing that I would say is how important it is to build a team of people that believe in you and that believe in be back a hundred percent because that was part of why I was able to go through this pregnancy completely and not be rushed into a deadline of going into labor or feeling like it needed to be controlled. It just was, it was what it was. It was just like, it was like I had, hadn't even had a C-section before on how I was treated. If that makes sense, it was just like, yeah, we're just going to let you go through this pregnancy. And they believed, you know, at the birth center, they believed that I could do it. And um, my midwife, like I said, was wonderful. And I never felt along the way from anybody that they thought that it was going to go south. They all just believed that I could do it. And when it came time for me to go into transition and pushing, and I didn't think I could do it anymore, it was really important that I had the people in that room. Everybody in that room was like, no, you can do this. And that's just, it's so important because you, you can't necessarily see the finish line when you're in a lot of pain and it's really intense. All you can think about is that. And it's our natural inclination to just be like, how can I make this stop? <laughs> I need an epidural, you know, but that wasn't an option for me because I was in the birth center. And that's part of why I chose to birth in the birth center. Cause I just, I wanted to try to avoid interventions. So that's pretty much my story. I don't know if Kim wants to, to say any, anything else. I, I was interested to hear what her perspective was whenever they told me to get on my hands and knees. Cause you could see things probably that I couldn't see. Yes. Yeah, so I was um, down by moment. your I was down by your hip pushing and I could see, so you had birthed his head and he had a bit of a shoulder dystocia. So that's when Sally started to move. And I told you to flip over to your hands and knees because I knew that's what it was going to take to get baby's shoulder dislodged. And you were great. A lot of moms are like, what? There's a baby's head between my legs. How am I supposed to move? You did fantastic. And that's exactly what it took. And it was quick, but stories, stories like yours are exactly why I'm passionate about you back and I was honored to get to be a part of your experience and to have a new friend just 
Yeah. Simply. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I, 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 I couldn't have done it without you. I couldn't have done it without anybody there, you know, because it just, I needed that extra push when it came, you know, no pun intended, but I did need that extra push. (laughs) (laughs) I did need that from everybody else to tell me that could see the perspective and go, no, you, you've got this. His head is almost out. And I know that you feel like you can't, but you can do this, you know? And so I just, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for everybody in the room. I'm so thankful for Kim. I'm so thankful for the birth center. And I'm so thankful for my midwife and the assistant. There was another midwife there and my mom and my mother-in-law and my husband and how they, they were in it with me. They didn't say, okay, yeah, we probably need to go to, to the hospital at this point because I was in pain. And my husband said, like, I, I wanted to do that, but when we would take your blood pressure, it was fine. And when we would take his heart rate, he was fine. And so I was like, this is what she told me to do. And so I'm just going to keep pushing her through it. So that's pretty much the story. I'm sorry if it was too long. No, but, it was no you're awesome. <laughs> I love that you two were able to bounce off and like, yeah. or you couldn't remember. She, you know, like, it's just, that's really cool. Super really, fun. Really cool. Yeah. It's, you know, I do remember trying to move and feeling like, Oh, it feels like there's something really big stuck down there. And there was. I feel like I can't move, but I did move. I got over on my hands and knees somehow. And yeah, I didn't know that his shoulder was stuck. Mm. Um, but they got him out. So that's um, awesome. And he's well, wonder he was eight pounds, eight pounds, two ounces. Nice. So full pound heavier than my daughter. Isn't that so, crazy yeah. how that works? <laughs> I know. I, I've, I've been, my mom and I were talking about it and she was like, yeah, she's like, I don't know. She said with me, she had me vaginally, my brothers too. But with me, it was during the time when like now I think they can give you an epidural, like basically right before you push. But the way it used Mm -hmm. to be, I think was like, she was too far along. So when she got to the hospital, they were like, sorry, it's too late. (laughs) And she just looked at my dad and said, I can't do this, you know, because she had had, you know, she just like, I can't do this. I can't, but she had had me vaginally and she said, and naturally, and she said, uh, I don't remember feeling that pain in my hips, but that's because you were my last baby. So I don't know if for me, it was because it was my, literally my first vaginal birth and he was pretty big and he had, I think his head was like 14. I looked, it was like 14.75 inches and his shoulders were big and his abdomen was almost as big as his, around as his head. So I don't know if that's why I felt so much pain and centralized in my hips, you know, but definitely could be could have been. Yeah. Never know. <laughs> a little more yeah. pressure down there. Yeah. A little oh. bit more. Well, so, well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was definitely a lot of fun to have both of you on. Mm-hmm. And if you are interested in becoming a VBAC Julie yourself, then go ahead and check out our courses at the vbacklink.com slash shop. And if you're interested, we also have a parents course that will make you and your doula, the perfect powerhouse team, confident and educated going into the birth space in order for you to have the very best empowering birth experience that you possibly can. And if you're looking for a doula, go to our website, the vbacklink.com slash find a doula and find your state or your country because we have doulas in lots of other countries as well. 
and check it out and see if there's a doula near you. I promise you these guys are amazing. These doulas are absolutely phenomenal. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.